Ladies and gentlemen, tonight you'll be tuning in to the third installment to close out the trilogy of Olivia Q. Winkowich. <laughs> Last time we discussed her attempt to find herself after leaving home. She made some mistakes. She learned some new things. There were struggles. There were victories. It was quite the roller coaster. I very much encourage you to tune in to last episode if you didn't hear it. But we're back again for the third installment of Olivia Q. Winkowich, A Life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I went off a little bit. But yeah, this is still uh, Olivia's uh, Saving Disgrace podcast. And I am Devin, just interviewing her still. Just uh, seeing how things are. Last we made it up until about the year 2020, finished off 2019 in her search for food and clothing and shelter <laughs> as she attempted to for settle real. herself in Los Angeles, um, as is the early 20s condition when you move. Um, but we are at the year of COVID uh, and many other tumultuous changes. Um, and, and a lot has changed in, in that year. So here we are. Um, and Olivia will take it away from here. So Olivia, as 2020 came in, before COVID hit even, uh, there were rumblings of upheaval. So <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Um, yeah. So in our relationship, we seemed, it seemed like it was the right time for you to move to LA. Um, I know that was a big sacrifice for you. Um, Washington was dope guys yeah but I know you also intended it for it to be a temporary time if you and I became more serious in our relationship um it was kind of funny because like it kind of I don't know we had different definitions of what a serious relationship was yeah I didn't realize I was in a serious relationship until I was halfway to LA yeah I mean you we had all of your stuff in your car you were coming down to live with me we were on like driving along the coast and i said something about being a serious relationship and you're like wait we're not in a serious relationship i'm like you're moving across the country to like live by me why would that not be serious and you're like oh yeah i guess i guess that's fair i guess we are in a serious relationship yeah i misread the vibe a bit (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, so, I mean, we really struggled, too, to kind of figure out what would make sense. Um, I was always taught that it was sinful and bad to live with a partner before marriage. Um, that's It's much more normalized in L.A., especially because rent is so high. And so I was at the time where I was looking for a new living situation. The and rent is too damn high. It's so high. And so I was kind of trying to figure that out and... I really sought some advice from people because I was like, hey, I have no moral qualms about living with Devin. I know that it would absolutely break my parents' heart. And I also know that it would be this huge skirmish in my like ministry circles from back home and all the supporters and all this stuff. And not that they needed to know, but somehow everyone found out everything about my life anyway. So it, it never seemed like anything could really be private. And yeah, we kind of went back and forth and I kind of tried to test the water with my parents and it didn't go well. And we didn't advertise that we were living together, though. No, I mean, well, that's the thing is, I mean, yeah, we were living together and that you were here, but we didn't sign a lease together. We didn't set up a home together. Um, and I was, I was like very... staying in your place until I found 
my own place. Exactly. And I mean, I stayed with someone until I found my own place in LA and you like, yeah, you were unemployed because that's how it works in LA. You move here, you're unemployed and then you figure it out. Um, and so that was kind of like the beginning of 2020. Um, I had told my parents like, yeah, Devin's staying with me. Sometimes he stays with a different friend, which you did sometimes. Um, and I felt fine about that. And um, it was also really nice to be with you after two years of long distance, but it's also an adjustment because we had never been in a relationship around each other, um, which, yeah, that's a huge adjustment. So we were trying to figure that out. You were unemployed, um, which is also a really difficult time for anyone. Well, um, I actually was employed immediately after I moved here. Yeah, that's true. And you hated, hated your job. Despised it. It was really bad. I was a very independent woman. Um, and so I was kind of giving up some of my independence and you were as well. And we were trying to figure that out. And um, I think a lot of people expected it to be this like blissful honeymoon stage. And it just, we were still figuring things out. It was difficult in a lot of ways. It was lovely in a lot of ways, but it was difficult. Um and at that time, I think we were fairly close on the like Christianity scale. So let's say all the way on the left is like, I am a complete atheist. And on all the way on the right is like, I'm super, super, super Christian. And then like somewhere kind of in the middle is the tipping point of whether you identify as a Christian or not. I think you and I were very close on that scale, but I still identified as a Christian and you didn't. Um, and I was having a hard time with that because I was figuring out, okay, if we're going to raise kids, I don't know what it looks like to raise them outside of the context of Christianity. Um, I'm sure it can be done, but that seems really difficult. I don't know how to have like an interfaith, um, relationship, what that really looks like long-term. I was kind of struggling with it, but I, I was also, it was also something that I was like, okay, I just want to learn more about it. I really feel like Devin and I make a lot of sense in a lot of ways. And also my faith wasn't a big part of who I was at that point, which was weird and different, but it wasn't, it just wasn't a huge priority for me. It was more of a priority of like in the future if I had kids. We went back home to visit your parents that went pretty well. I really enjoy your family. Um, and then we went back on New Year's to hang out with your parents, which was... It was terrible. It was, it was a mess. Um, and it was really weird because I've experienced my parents to be very loving and welcoming people, and they were not for you. Um, and it was tense. Which I had stayed with her family twice before, and they were like very fine, nice people. Yeah, when we were just friends. Yeah. Um, so I expected that and that was not the case. No. Um, and it was awkward and tense. My mom would barely speak to you. My dad was not himself. It was just such a weird thing. My sister tried so hard to smooth things over. I, I was like sicker than I ever have been in my whole life. I probably had COVID honestly, but it was before COVID was really like a thing. Yeah. And it was just a bad time. And, um, yeah, I was really sick. You got really sick too. And it was just clear that my parents had no desire to really interact with you. Um, and it felt weird and really sad. And I was really excited to finally like 
bring you into this family life that I really valued and um, it did not go well. And I felt like you really like made an effort. Um, I felt like my parents did not. And it was a weird time. So in February, my mom and I were on the phone. I could tell she was really holding something back. And they'd been planning to come into L.A. for Olivia's birthday since the, like the new year. Yeah. So the plan was they were supposed to arrive in March. Um, we were talking in February. And mom says that I seemed really like discouraged about something. Um, and she brought up the fact that you didn't pay me rent um, while you were staying with me. And she felt like you were really taking advantage of me. And though I was employed when I first moved here, I was making like 16 an hour and working part time. Yeah. Like they wouldn't give me 40 hours a week. So I'd work like maybe 30, 35 hours a week making 16 an hour, which yet again in LA is I, I barely like financially every month. I think I profited a hundred dollars because yeah. LA is just like, even without paying rent. Yeah. Um, and you, that was a seasonal job too. So that, yeah. um, ended at Christmas. So I knew that. And I have a home, and I was well happy to welcome you into that. Um, but my mom took issue with it. She felt like you were lazy and were just taking advantage of me. Um, so I talked her through with that, and that just kind of opened a huge can of worms. And I realized she had a lot of issues with you that she just had been holding back. And um, I asked, it, you know, we, you and I talked about it, and she didn't want to talk to you about it on the phone or anything. She wanted you and myself and my dad and my mom to all be there in person. So basically, we just had to wait a couple of weeks knowing that this huge conversation was going to happen. Um, and you had said before, like, hey, if this doesn't go well, I don't know if I can continue dating you. And I didn't realize that the stakes were that high until that point well yeah i know there's like this like mythos of like the hopeless lovers in our culture of like well we don't care what anybody thinks and if our cultures and our communities don't accept us like each other is all we need but i've seen in-laws make people's lives hell for far too long and that's just not a life I want, i've ever wanted to sign up for yeah and then after what i saw new year i knew that like this was a in-laws prime to make your life hell type situation yeah and that was really sad for me because i thought that my family would be a really cool family to be a part of because growing up everyone wanted to be part of my family um and which i did too it was kind of a surprise for me as well yeah um but yeah, I mean, we had this conversation and my strategy was just to kind of come into it and say, hey, mom, dad, I could go line item by line item of why Devin's not an evil person. Um, but ultimately, like, you just need to respect me as an adult. Um, I'm 25 years old. I need you to just respect that I am able to make decisions on my own. Um, and to my surprise, they really pushed back on that. They had 
treated me as an adult my entire life and given me the pressure and the responsibilities of an adult my entire life really until I turned 25 and then all of a sudden they needed to be making the decisions for me and they didn't trust me to be able to make decisions. Yo, this conversation was wild, folks. To my face, her mother apologized to her for having failed her as a parent to the extent that she would be attracted to someone like me. It was wild. It was an awful conversation. It was Um, like eight hours too. It wasn't eight hours, but it was was actually it was it was five hours. Yes. In the park. Um, And yeah. And I saw a side of my parents that I don't think anyone's ever seen except for me, honestly, and Devin. Um, And it really showed me that my parents did not my parents do not support my decisions as I thought they did. I thought they really supported me as a person and my decisions and thought very highly of me. It turns out they only support the decisions that I make that they would also make. Um, And I really tried to explain to them, hey, you have the context of the UP at this point. You've lived in the UP for almost 25 years. And so, yeah, culturally, you're going to have different values from myself. I'm also much younger and I live in an urban environment and I'm going to have different values. I'm going to see things differently and I need you to respect that. And they didn't. Um, And again, it's not like I was doing these like murders and heroin. I just like loved someone that they didn't like. And um, they pinned it on your character. Um, I didn't show the fruits of the spirit as addressed by them, which is a fun game to play because you can you can throw that around infinitely. Yeah, they don't like how how you're not very open to the world and how you're more like protective of yourself and the people around you. And I told like, dad, I was too open to the world growing up and I felt like I wasn't protected growing up. And, um, it's really nice to be with someone who can see the boundaries that I need to make and can help me make them. Um, and they saw that as a really like terrible attitude of yours of not being a, willing to learn and serve others um, because you wouldn't like look for ways to help and just be helpful. And um, that's still something that I'm learning and unlearning in in different ways, but you saw it differently where you're like, you need to just communicate with me about what you need. And I'm happy to give you what you need. My family, you don't communicate with each other about what you need. You're supposed to predict what each other needs. And that's how you show love. Um, The passive aggressive game of, unspoken unmet expectations right exactly um and so they felt like you were incapable of loving me the way i needed because you couldn't read my expectations and my needs not couldn't (laughs) yeah and because you (laughs) wouldn't and i still struggle with that sometimes it feels unloving to me but also i think it is a healthier way of interacting of saying hey i need this and expressing my needs and um being okay with that so What was also difficult was there were a lot of religious pieces to that um, and there were a lot of extremely self-righteous pieces to that conversation. Um, Like the Fruits of the Spirit game. Like the Fruits of the Spirit game. Um, We don't perceive you to be very gentle. Well, I don't perceive you to be gentle either. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It it did not go well. It was on both sides. It was not a great time. It was a bad time. It was awful. Um, and 
then they were here for a week afterwards and it was just it was really 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 bad and it was clear at the end that my parents thought that I was a failure in every way um for turning out the way I did and um that there was no way I could be good if I was attracted to you um and that I somehow must have been lying to them my whole life if I felt these ways or prioritized these things differently. And I really felt like, hey, mom and dad, you had these expectations of me growing up and I did them perfectly. Please give me a break. Let me do what I need to do to just live my life. And they saw it differently. Um, and again, it's not like I'm doing murders on heroin. It's just like... It's just being a human being. I mean, to be fair to them, you had never really fought to be seen as a human before because you were, when you lived at home, pretty happy to play the game. Yeah. And that's how you saw value in the way you lived. And so they hadn't really had to practice seeing you as a human outside of their money puppet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously they didn't think of me as their money puppet, but it did kind of happen to be that way sometimes. And um, I do believe my parents really love me and want the best for me. It's just that we have different ideas of what's best. And um, I was like, hey, mom, dad, I am a young woman in a city. You're not going to know what's best for me. And they're like, we are older and wiser and we will know. And I'm like, you don't like my dad. I'm like, dad, I haven't talked. I talked to you like twice a year. How would you know my contacts well enough to know the decisions that I should be making? It was a horrible horrible visit it was my birthday too which was a weird thing and then um and there were just a lot of racial undertones of the whole thing too and um I don't think my parents see themselves as racist I don't think that a lot of people would see them as racist and I think from a lot of people's definition they aren't racist but I was able to see and I learned this past year which we can talk about um, I was able to see how avoiding the really intense work of unlearning the racism that you are inherently taught by living in this country, avoiding doing that can really, really mess up people's lives. There were a lot of things where I was like, yeah, well, Devin, of course, gets frustrated when he goes in and into a store and like is asked for his receipt, but no one else has asked for his receipt. My parents read that frustration as being physically violent instead of just being like, oh, that's annoying. And they also... Um, Her dad is the type of dude, though, and I've been in places with him. He will talk, and given like his life's work is just like being a minister and like building relationships with people is like what people donate money to him to do. And so he approaches his whole life like that, but I've not had the like luxury of making that my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so like I've had to move at a much faster pace. So like if you go anywhere with her dad, he will stop and talk to any individual he sees for 20 minutes. And that's like their baseline for how men interact with the world. And yeah. sure, he'll make some friends or some acquaintances or and he'll know people. And so of course he knows the whole community and even in the middle of nowhere he'll stop and like talk to the guy at the gas station like learn about his life for 20 minutes and i 
like going to the gas station and the guy like scopes me out a little bit because he's like what's this weird looking black dude doing in here and i'm like okay well i recognize that look and so now i just like don't really need to spend time with you i'm gonna just like come in pay you and leave and so because of that they see that as i'm like brusque and like closed off and cold and i'm like i mean you don't even understand my mom said well does Devin blame that on racism and i said yeah and she's like well like, Olivia, that's not racism. That's because of his character. And people can read he has bad character. So they're going to check his receipt. And I'm like, that's just not how it works. <laughs> like, that's not the world. And um, and that's the thing is, I think my parents fundamentally do not believe that they hate you because you're black. But I think a lot of the ways that you interact with the world, they hate. And those are rooted in your blackness. And... Um, and I'm a decently affable guy. Like people definitely perceive me as intimidating. Um, but you know, I, I get along with most folks pretty well. There is significant research to show that in America, black men are perceived as violent, no matter what they're doing. Yeah. Violent and threatening, no matter what their posture or their clothing or their circumstances. Yeah. And so after that conversation, we had a couple days. You were staying at a friend's house. Um, my parents took me out for dinner. We were in Chick-fil-A. I was sobbing. And they just said, Devin is an abusive person. I refuse to be in a relationship with, Dev- with an abusive person like Devin. And I hope that you can refuse to be an abusive in an abusive relationship like him too. Which for me was like a... When I heard that, I was like, I have to get out of this because I am no longer safe. Yeah. And they're like, we're not telling you that you have to choose between us or him. But like, you, I refuse to be in an abusive relationship with him. And I was like, abuse, like, what in the world are you talking about? And they were, they thought that you just weren't respectful enough to them, um, that you weren't, basically you weren't kissing up to them. And they didn't like that. Um, And they thought... Like, if I said something about you getting frustrated, like I said, they read that as you, like, throwing me up against a wall and punching me instead of just being like, hey, I'm just really exhausted. I don't want to talk about that. You know, that's a very different form of frustration. And I said, hey, I don't know how we can reconcile this and how I can keep on dating Devin with everything that's going on with you guys. But I was like, I need space from you and I don't trust you. I want to be married. I want to fall in love I want to be in love I want to um I want to have that with someone and I want it in a in a long-term relationship and I don't feel like my parents are able to respect anyone that I may choose um and that was just very clear you know they have a lot of weird expectations where they're like, well, he has to be really like a super Christian, but he has to kind of like hate the church and understand that there are a lot of issues with that. And he has to, and ha- he has to be a he. Like I'm, I'm straight, but they're also just assuming like a relationship has to be between a man and a woman. And they're assuming that really this person is like extremely conservative in almost every way, but like is somehow a raging feminist but isn't saying a feminist because feminism is still a bad word but um you know foundationally we are still feminists in our family and um all this stuff where it's like 
you want it both ways and like you raised me in a really weird way and you want me to find someone who matches me perfectly in all of these things who matches you perfectly not me anymore um yeah I'm like that's just not realistic and also they haven't been in the dating game in 2020 like that's a whole different monster so i've been in the dating game since the early 80s right exactly (laughs) and they really weren't in the dating game it was this whole mess of a thing and um it really broke me and um they left and my mom's parting words to me were um i think you are in a dangerous and damaging relationship and she went into the airport and um I today's podcast hosted by the dangerous and damaging Devin J. Melling. <laughs> yeah. I came home. You were there. Um I gave you some birthday gifts. You gave me some birthday <laughs> gifts because we hadn't gotten to do that yet. Um you sat there and instead of writing me a card, you just sat there and like said the sweetest things I've ever heard. Um and this was like your idea to like do that before all this happened. But when it was clear that we weren't going to be able to be in a relationship anymore, we were just sobbing. We were both. It was a very intense emotional experience. Um, and really sad to be like, okay, the culmination of so such an intense and beautiful relationship was going to be ended by my parents. I got to do... I was staying at a friend's house when I like knew for sure it was over and I got to do a very like movie-esque dramatic like LA nighttime angry sad motorcycle ride at 1am so I was like ready but still was a rough time yeah I mean I it's been over a year I'm still processing it but um that happened and that was the part of 2020 that wasn't a global nightmare yeah i mean that was <laughs> literally a week before the world shut down so um a, a week before covid shut everything down and about a month before the george floyd protests yeah two well, months two before months. i learned a lot about race dating you i really learned a lot but i still didn't know much um and so it was really hard for me to want to do the most loving thing for you and help you be safe. Um, And safe, not that my parents would come and like lynch you, but like... They would throw some allegations that would get me killed. Right, exactly. And especially if we had children, we were afraid that, you know, they would constantly be checking them for abuse and all these kind of things and... um, and not trust you to be a good dad, which I believe you'll be a really good dad. Um, and I just really, I knew it, but it was hard to feel it and to feel that it was real and that it was something that could not continue. And also from my perspective, too, Olivia's spent a lot of time talking about her very close relations to her family and how they had been her identity her whole life and she would still talk to her mom for a couple hours every other day and i was like okay well this is like a wildly close relationship my mother and i we talk maybe once a month for like an hour 
maybe three, but not a ton. And so I was like, oh, you talk to your mother a couple hours every other day. Like, uh, that's not a relationship that I can have against me in like marriage or a long-term relationship. If this woman is against me, like, that's not going to be a relationship. Like, we're not going to last. If this woman is against me and you give her a couple hours every other day, you know? Yeah. That, that was a huge factor as well, in addition to just, like, the safety factor. Yeah, um, which I think is fair. And, and that's what's hard is, like, I still, at some points, have a hard time comprehending this whole thing. But I, like, I love and respect you and want you to be safe and well. Um, and you want the same for me. And really, a big part of our decision to break up was you wanted me to be able to have a relationship with my family and knew that that couldn't happen if you were in my life. Um, I felt like I that week had to choose between my very serious boyfriend that I was considering marriage with and my family. My family being my mom and my dad, my sister was wonderful about it this whole time and still is. Soph was great. Is great. Yeah. Um, She will fight to the death for me and I appreciate that. Um, but you know, choosing between my mom and dad or Devin and really at the end of the week I had lost both and that was really traumatic for me. And then a week later the world shut down. You still didn't have a place to live. So we (laughs) were like, okay, well we're going to break up, but we're going to still be staying together and then we're going to be quarantined together. And really we just had this really complex time and I had to process you know not only losing my mom and my dad and you and all my like social ways of living and the way the world works um, but my mom and my dad were my last real authentic connection to faith and Christianity And I thought the world of them and to see them treat you the way that they did. I was like, I want nothing to do with that. And treat you because it was wildly disrespectful to you as well. Yeah, it it really, really, really was. And so um, at that point, I was like, well, I I can't be a Christian anymore. Um, And that was sad for me because that was my entire life for so long. Um, And as I said... My faith has always been so heavily influenced by my close relationships. Um, and so for my close, like my closest mentors, affectors, my parents to weaponize their faith against you um, instead of using it to mentor and care for you and see the ways, some of the things that they didn't like you, that's just a trauma response from you. And that's something to be like, worked through and talked about and cared for not um not saying you have bad character and moving on um and so I lost a lot of respect for them but I also lost really my last true connection to my respect for Christianity um I mean this is still during the Trump era um obviously and this is when COVID was raging and I was in a very, very dark place. Um, 
in a really complex place because then we had to figure out how do we care for each other in this world yeah because we were all each other had yeah la was kind of the epicenter of covid in the u.s for a while outside of new york mm-hmm. and so it was nearly impossible for me to find an apartment because i got a job like two weeks before covid yeah thank god um so i was like making money and could like consider moving out finally but then covid hit <laughs> and nobody wanted to like get a roommate yeah uh during a pandemic <laughs> so yeah that was kind of a mess yeah and it was just hard to navigate even though like we still loved and cared for each other and it's hard to be like okay well we're here and then these two old people in michigan are deciding our fate when the whole world is as fucked as it is and that was just really hard um and so we decided um we were going to do kind of a soft official breakup when you moved out first of June and then um, a, a true breakup once COVID was quote unquote over when we thought that was going to be like soon. The weekend you moved out was the weekend that the George Floyd protests started happening. Yeah, George Floyd was killed during the week and then I moved out that weekend. Yeah. And so you, and you moved downtown so we moved out we moved all your stuff downtown while um all the national guard people were kind of like in and um monitoring everything yeah the first night i lived there the streets like on every street corner were like national guardsmen with guns and stuff yeah and we were also really careful um with unloading my car because we wanted to make sure people didn't think you were looting my car. We wanted to make anything that could be misconstrued as a weapon I carried as a white woman. Um, any of that kind of stuff. And so it's it's always been interesting in our relationship because I am white, but I'm a woman. And you are a man, but you're biracial. And so um, we choose ways to wield our privilege to protect each other at different times we've always done that um and that week especially was very very apparent of like who does what when and we had to really be very very careful about it um so it's not a traditional like i i guess traditional as in like pretty old-fashioned relationship of like the man is just like always the protector of the woman because oftentimes i may be able to protect you inside of a situation like that and i needed to be um aware of that oftentimes i'm not aware of that and we'd have to talk about it um but that was a lot of learning and then um oh june um i cared a lot and i didn't know very much um you and i had a lot of extensive conversations a lot of battles happening on Facebook. Um, I got pretty educated and confident pretty quickly. And um, and I really realized like, oh, I actually, I do know a lot about this because you and I talk about it all the time. Um, but we, I just didn't feel like I could speak about it online or anything like that about racial reconciliation or um, or rights or um care or anything like that and 
then I kind of got the hang of it a little bit and then I started going to protests and wow that was so freeing to have experienced the trauma from my parents and to be with 20,000 people who were angry about such similar things um it wasn't because for me it was like unfortunately how it works with a lot of white people is like you can learn and you can care and then when racism hurts you personally that's when you kind of really really get it and I know that's not right and it's not the way it should be but it is the way that it works for a lot of people um and I think there is some value into just having a personal stake on um, anti-racism work. Um, I think it helps people be involved in more of a long-haul type way. But it just so happened that my personal stake was pretty fresh. It was very fresh wound. And I could show up and be like, yeah, I do care about this kind of stuff. And I realized that not only does it hurt black men on the streets it hurts everyone um whether they know it or not so I got a lot of flack from Christian spaces of my past a lot of family friends a lot of extended family members said a lot of nasty things to me um the BLM anti for Muslims yeah (laughs) um and it just really broke me from everything I felt and respected from my past that whole month um realizing that's really when I learned more from you and from a lot of people about capitalism and a lot of the um really really damaging pieces of that um and really realizing this was what was so sad is like I felt like I was raised to be an extreme feminist to be a communist and to be very anti-racist. I, the values that I was raised with align with those perfectly. But my parents don't identify as um, anti-racist. They don't identify as feminists. And they don't identify as communists. They identify as capitalists. So I was just having a lot of weird cognitive dissonance, I guess, of being like, Okay, well, these are all the values that I feel like I'm still living out. But apparently I've like, because I've put some of these more modern terms to them. Not not that they're inherently modern, but these people would say that they're modern. Um, then all of a sudden I'm, I'm this evil person that just fell into forsook the... Forsook your roots. Yeah, forsook my roots. And I was being disrespectful to my parents and all that they sacrificed and gave me growing up. Um, which really at that time I was being like, okay, well, my parents, one, I don't think I'm being disrespectful to that. Two, I, I played my part and I did what my parents asked of me. And now I'm fully an adult. I'm 25 years old. I'm financially free. Like I don't have any tie to them other than what I desire. Um, which at that point I wasn't speaking to my parents. So yeah, it was a big, a really big deal. And, um, I kind of realized that a lot of the Christian, Christian spaces I had been in my whole life were only willing to question personal sins and not willing to, to call out systemic sins. And 
for me, it's just always been based on logic where like, yeah, like a lot of people call for empathy and I think that's really important, but like, let's lose, let's use some logic here. And like, I can, sure, I can call out one person for doing one bad thing, fine, whatever. But what if I could prevent one person from doing a bad thing that affected millions of people? Like, let's look at the big picture. Let's look at the systems here. That's what feels more logical to me. Um, And that's not something that the Christian spaces I grew up in seemed, um, felt was appropriate. Yeah, it seems like, uh, and you talked about this a lot this summer, um, it seems like a lot of Christian sensibilities of justice favor prohibition instead of abolition, yeah. where they favor like making individual actions unacceptable and shaming people for individual actions instead of like systemically considering the, the causes that lead people to those often desperate actions. Yeah, exactly. I, I read this book called Upstream and by Dan Heath talked a lot about, hey, guys, we just need to think more creatively and we need to think more big picture and we need to think more preventative. And usually anything that you're like, okay, we can prevent it by doing this, there's usually three or four or five steps further upstream of that problem that you need to work on um and it eventually prevent the larger issue that you're seeing. Yeah, but. like don't tell women not to have abortions. Destigmatize, well, like give better sex education so people don't get accidentally pregnant, and don't stigmatize single parenting, and give women the economic support they need if they were to have the child alone, so that they don't feel abortion is the only financial option for their family. Yeah, you exactly. Know? That's a really good example of what you know upstream thinking is. Um, so, and I just don't see that. I don't see that on the conservative side. I don't see it on like a more Republican side. I don't really see it on the Democratic side, honestly. And I don't feel like I have a political home. Um, I think a lot of people assume things about me that aren't necessarily true. Well, yeah. And, and I didn't use that example as a political example, though I know people politicize it as part of the culture war. Uh, to me, that was like a very spiritual example of like, I think we'll both agree that spiritually morally ethically killing children is not the vibe yeah. <laughs> it's not the move but we don't solve that moral ethical concern by saying just like it's illegal we'll prosecute and imprison and incarcerate you for like wanting to kill your child instead of doing that we say we you know think think more upstream along the lines of like how do we support you so that performing this moral grievance is not even a consideration for you there's no reason to like want or desire that um and i think that's a spiritual practice a spiritual way of thinking about like allocating our support and our cultural and communal work and the way we like care for each other it, like you talked about in your first episode for you when you were young spirituality was ever, like there was no christianity there was i am a christian and i do god's work and i think similarly i think at trinity and in adulthood it was kind of like well like 
church and religion and spirituality is like this thing that's separated from my life a little bit while I'm like trying to figure out housing and who the hell I am. Mm -hmm. But, you know, bringing it back around in the last year seems like something you've been putting some work into over the course of the summer, especially with the education you underwent. Yeah. So I joined a group called White People for Black Lives. I did um, a training seminar with them that was several months long just to kind of figure out our place in this that makes sense, that's appropriate, that's helpful. And a lot of it is just making sure that you really know the effects of racism, not only on people of color, but the entire world and how racist, racism, capitalism, they really, really burden, not, like I said, not only people of color, but everyone um and even if people think that they're doing well in a capitalistic society it's still going to be um a burden on them in different ways so yeah I I learned a lot from them um and really in this past year I've been like okay I really care about some things I can't put that into spiritual context um I guess spiritual meaning a more religious or Christian context um and especially with like where things are at politically, um, I just have no desire to to join my name or my life with the term Christianity. And I think I haven't necessarily changed my very core values of loving people, of caring for people, and um, making sure that people have access to what they need. I have not changed those core values. I think those core values can be very Christian, but often aren't anymore. And I think that people, I think that those, just for me, I really have had to say, okay, Christianity is this whole thing. Like it's a massive, massive definition of what Christianity is. But right now, the way the world uses the word Christianity, and especially America, and really California and LA, that doesn't define who I am, and that doesn't that doesn't feel like an accurate description of what my values are. I actually just came across in a podcast, a recent survey came out, um, and they found that as American politics continue to polarize... And there is a growing section of to be a Christian is to be like a conservative Republican. Mm. Um, They've also found that Americans are increasingly identifying their values first Mm. and then exercising those politically and then under their political affiliations, determining their religious following. Um, which is like a big source that they're citing for the like secularization of our country. Yeah. Um, but they're also finding a lot of people who tend to be more conservative feel like to be conservative is to be a Christian. Yeah. So they feel like it is to be a Christian. But then for those who find that they can't be a conservative because people's identity comes first politically, like the values are first exercised politically when they realize that their political values don't identify with what is considered Christianity at large, which is like evangelical Christianity, 
then they find that they have a hard time calling themselves a Christian or desiring to be a Christian anymore. Mm. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that a lot of people who are guests on this podcast would identify that way. Um, and to me, I mean, I studied communications in college and um, I've always been fascinated by definitions of words and how, you know, so I think a lot of conservatives especially would be like, well, we need to just use the traditional definition of what the word is okay sure but if everyone else thinks it means something else then like it doesn't matter what the traditional definition is what really matters is what everyone thinks it is because that's the way you're communicating your message and to me saying that I'm a Christian does not accurately communicate the message that would make sense in like other people's minds so um, that's kind of where I'm at with that, um, but I've I have really struggled with a lot of mental health issues this past year. I was diagnosed with an adjustment disorder, which I think makes a lot of sense. I started taking an antidepressant, but that also um, had a combination with anti-anxiety, and I was like, oh, maybe some of this like extreme perfectionism. Um, and overthinking everything and being way too conscientious about everything. Maybe that had something to do with anxiety. And that's really helped me a lot um, taking that medication. But obviously a lot of Christian spaces don't encourage that. Um, and then I've also found a lot of spaces where I can live out my values and things that I really care about, but not in a Christian context. And that's been really helpful. So um, I what am... Some examples of that? Yeah. So like, like I said, I was part of the... I was part of the White People for Black Lives um, organization, and I still am at different times when my schedule allows for it. Um, I am a board member for uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome nonprofit, which I struggle with, and it's affected my life a lot. PCOS. Um, PCOS, yes. For those who are a little less familiar with the full words. Yeah. Um, and then I also, I think this podcast is a big part of my own spiritual journey. Um, I have always really found a lot of value in taking things that have been very dark and very hard and very emotionally damaging for myself and turning them into something that can create community, can help people feel less alone, can help people feel supported, um, can just help people have more access to knowledge and context. And that's something I really am very passionate about. And so it's been lovely to be able to um, live out these values that I have in non-traditional Christian spaces um, because I don't have the guilt of like people's eternal lives on me. I just want to like help them get through the day a little bit easier. And, you know, I mean, traditional Christians would say that's, not really important but to me I've found it's very extremely important and it's also I live out my own spiritual practices and caring for other people I really have tried to invest much more into um, my true true friendships that I now consider my friends my family um, and since I've lost so much of my relationship with my family I consider my sister a, a true friend and I consider my true friends my family. And I, I thought it was interesting when I was learning more about Marxism and why people hate Marxism. And they're like, they're destroying the American family tradition. And I was like, well, yeah, because sometimes people's families suck and people still need family. 
And I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, It's not that I hate the fact that people could have like a mom and a dad and a sibling. It's just that I know a lot of people have a mom and a dad and a sibling that they cannot turn to for love and support and care. And I want them to be able to have the love and support and care that a family can provide. So um, that's kind of where I'm at now. I think, you know, just for the people who are curious, like you and I have just had all these different times of like, okay, we're breaking up now. And, but like, we love each other and we care for each other. And we've really been all that each other truly has throughout this pandemic. And, um, we still believe, and you especially believe that we cannot fundamentally be together. Um, not just because of my parents, but because of, um, because of the state of the world. And we, you know, we know that we could have a really lovely, wonderful relationship if it could exist in a vacuum. But um, seeing the world response to the protests this year um, and seeing how the U.S. has responded to things and really how you and I have both responded to things. I think we have a lot of respect and affection for each other, but um and how our lord and savior joe biden has given the police additional (laughs) military equipment yeah exactly it's hard to have hope that like it would make sense for us to be together and that it would even like ethically be okay for us to be together um and that's really hard but i in part of my mental health journey i'm really trying to make decisions that really help me right now and not put so much pressure on like every decision I am making right now needs to be for the rest of my life. I'm trying to make, put, take a lot of pressure off of that. And for right now, spending time together has been good for us. Um, and yeah, that's different from what I expected. You know, growing up, I had this very specific list of each of like, I was told to make a list of the man that I would want to be with someday. And have all these things I remember having a crush on someone and hearing him use the word hell just like out of outside of a spiritual context and I was like okay well now he's off the list great and I like because not swearing was one of them so anyway I'm saying all that because this is an immense part of growth for me um to kind of move away from the like dear lord who do you have for me to spend the rest of my life with and for marriage to be my ultimate goal um, I'm looking more at like right now is a season of life and it's really been wonderful to spend that season with you. And you know that if, if, and when that season comes when we're not able to be together, then I'll need to figure that out then. Yeah. Thanks. Also, I just want to cover myself a little bit. Obviously this is Olivia's thing, but people could read the whole me not wanting to be with a white woman because of the way the world is is like a racist thing and that's a whole nother issue if you have a problem with that or you're curious feel free to at me personally mm-hmm. i'll talk to you about it as an individual if that bothers you and you're not coming at me with guns ablazing. so that's that's a whole different topic but i understand that people could read that as like a whole racist thing so yeah <laughs> i mean yeah I mean, that's the thing it's a it's a difficult topic and um it's sad for me, it's just mostly really, really sad. Um, and as a man who's dated two white women, this is not something I'm crazy excited about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I want you to be safe. And I want you to have a life that works for you. And you want the same for me. Um, but I don't tend to 
tend to closely relate with a lot of traditional white men. So we'll see how that works. Everything is awesome. Uh, so we're starting to wrap up. So, you know, on your podcast, you have some traditions. And uh, the main tradition so far is a couple questions to close things out. So having left, I mean, you've never really been in successfully integrated part of the church formally. <laughs> but having walked another couple steps further from slightly more structured religious past and the expectations involved what are you thankful to have left behind um i'm still working on leaving this behind the extreme pressure i have on everything the eternal pressure i have on everything um it's really nice to not have like eternal spiritual guilt attached to everything i do or don't do like i wasn't able to take on something in the white people for black lives um a program that they're doing and i was i thought originally i could be a leader in that and i just because of the way my job is right now i can't and i emailed them and they weren't like well god hates you now they were like (laughs) (laughs) they were like congrats on your promotion i'm so happy for you christians will do that yeah (laughs) i mean not in those words but that is it's real definitely the vibe very real and i it was i because i felt so terrible sending that email and they were like i want you to care for yourself and i want you to be okay and there will always be a space for you here maybe not congrats god hates you now but maybe Oh, it's fine. I'm sure the souls will save themselves. Right, exactly. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, well, it's nice to not have that eternal pressure on things. And so I'm, I'm really thankful to leave that behind. Yeah. So then that's, that's like a great thing to be able to move past. But what do you miss from, you know, being a little bit closer to the Christian context? Um, I miss, I miss having a very clear path of exactly what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to do it. Um, Freedom ain't it frightening. Yeah. (laughs) It's much messier. And I I miss having everyone's approval. I love people's approval. (laughs) I really, really do. And it's hard. It's been really hard to to have so many adults that I have looked up to be really disappointed in me this past year. That has not been fun for me. Yeah. Um, I still believe that I'm doing what's right and it's, it's hard. It's really, it wears on me because I want everyone to like me all the time. So I miss, it's not that everyone did like me, but I at least had good graces of people before. Mm -hmm. And then finally, as we've discussed, a lot of people in older generations are getting very concerned (laughs) about the exodus of the youths from the church what would you say to them? I've been very confused by this for a long time, and that's partly why I'm doing this podcast. Um, I think when people talk to me, when older people talk to me about how terrible it is that people are leaving the church or leaving Christianity, um, it's usually they're afraid that people are moving. Really, they just want to like, have sex and do drugs that's what they're afraid of maybe some heroin Um, maybe some heroin and murders and stuff but um i was like okay well one i know a lot of christians who like 
have sex and do drugs. And I know a lot of non-Christians who don't do drugs and have sex. So it's like, I don't think that really is like, has anything to do with it, honestly. Um, And for the most part, the people I've talked to, if they decide to leave Christianity or leave the church, um, it has everything to do with Christianity and the church and nothing to do with with what they're leaving it for. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a big a big thing that I kind of am questioning. Um, and so I would say like, I think it's really important to listen and to listen to the hearts and the minds and the souls of the people who are leaving. Um, that's why I'm doing this podcast is so that they have the opportunity to listen if they want to. Um, and I think another big thing for me is what's just odd is that they're usually, what they push against is us being quote-unquote progressive and moving forward with the world into this new newfangled and very dangerous and sinful way of living that the world wants to entice us with. Um, that's usually the type of language that they use. And what's weird is like, okay, you can say that, but like you live as if you're in the 80s and people who grew up in the forties said the same thing about the people in the eighties. Like, mm-hmm. it's not that it's not that the people who are telling me like, don't be progressive and don't look, don't try to be part of the world or all that kind of stuff. It's not like they're living in like biblical times culturally. They're not taking on that culture and taking on every piece of that. Like they're just like 20 to 40 years behind. Right. A big thing uh, to that point is when we scientifically accepted that the earth was not the center of the universe, it damn near broke Christianity in half. Mm-hmm. Like there, like people died over that mm-hmm. because Christians were like, well, how can we even have a Christianity if people don't believe? Because it was such a foundational doctrine for the way they viewed Christianity. And it's just always there are so many things that can leave Christianity so many assumptions about what it means to be a Christian that feel so quintessential to Christianity that just don't matter if you're willing to get over it. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's the two things that I would say is like, one, take a look at yourselves, start talking to each other and kind of get a grip on what's going on in your areas. Um, And listen, just listen and take a look at how history works, how things progress, and that that's not always bad, and the ways that you have taken on things that people are concerned about. I mean, people are so concerned about smartphones, but they had equal concerns about books. So it's like, okay, well, you know, learn <laughs> the some... the printing press. Yeah, if we learn oh. some... <laughs> it was wild. So if we learn some history and bring that together, I'm hoping that hopefully we can calm some panic, but also make some actual real steps to making um, Christianity and the church a place for people or to just move past. But yeah, so that's three episodes worth. But I figured if I'm asking all of you to share your stories with me, you at least deserve um, access to my story and my full context and you know if you if you want to listen great if not then skip on over well thanks everyone uh saving disgrace 
Olivia Q. Winklewich. That's a wrap. Uh, have a great evening. Have a great life. <laughs>